0: Please keep your Bibles open there at Revelation 14 as we uh, pick up our Revelation series again after a couple of weeks uh, break and uh, we'll be now in uh, Revelation uh, through till the end of November as we work through these uh, last several chapters. Uh, I've been considering uh, entering an event like none other that I've done before. Uh, This is an ultra marathon with no finish line. to to have 24 hours to kayak as many laps as you can of Lake Burley Griffin. It's so different to any other endurance event that I've been in before because what keeps you going, whether it's a long-distance kayak race or a long-distance running race, what keeps you going is the finish line. The goal, in my experience, no matter how much I'm hurting except for one time, or how slow that I am going, you will get there while you keep going. And the sooner you get there, the sooner the race and the pain and the hurt is over. And so it's kind of doing my mind in thinking about this event with no finish line, no finish line that's in sight because every paddle stroke, every bit of effort is not actually getting me closer to a finish line because it just keeps going and going and going for the 24 hours. I imagine it's going to be a real mental battle, and other people I've talked to have done these events kind of before. It's a real mental battle not to just give up, to lie down, or in this case just fall into Lake Burley Griffin. Although well, there's got to be some incentive not to do that. So far across this year, most of my training has been mental preparation, or at least that's been my excuse for lack of the physical preparation and perhaps the reason I haven't actually entered yet. The Christian life can seem a lot like a marathon, an ultra-marathon with no finish line in sight. It seemingly just goes on and on and on. The, the goal of eternity with God is not something that we can see tangibly. And so when we face hard times, when we face temptations, when we face trials, when we face tiredness, we feel like we want to just give up and lay down. It can be the same with church life. Church can seem like an ultra marathon with no finish line in sight. Because we can't see a goal from one season to the next that when we face challenge after challenge, when we face changes, when we face disappointment in church, uncertainty, sadness, grief, we feel like we just want to give up, lay down, move on to something else. Now, to be honest, this is how I feel sometimes about church. Now, Revelation 14 is for times like this. It gives us a vision into heaven that makes our future tangible, something that we can see. It shows us our goal, the finish line of eternity. It's here just for this reason. Remember, Revelation is not a book given to give us a timeline for the future. It's not what Revelation is all about, is it? As we've been working through this series, we've been seeing that Revelation, far more than it's about end times event and the future and things that you can make up weird charts on the internet with, Revelation is a warm pastoral letter. A warm pastoral letter to encourage and equip God's people for trusting and obeying Jesus in hard times. So the book of Revelation is addressed to all Christians who are living in this age between the ascension of Jesus, that is death and resurrection, through to the return of Jesus. Being a Christian in this age is not easy. It was not easy to be a Christian in first century Roman Asia who was specifically addressed Uh, in the book of Revelation, and we see those seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation uh, 2 and 3. It was not easy to be a Christian in the first century. They were oppressed, they were ridiculed, they were marginalised, they were persecuted. And as we've been reading through Revelation, we see why that is. Firstly, the world is under the judgement of God. Because of our rebellion against God, we experience and taste and expect a glimpse of the final judgment being played out here in this age. There's a brokenness to the world so that people do get sick. Relationships do break down. We do disappoint one another. Uh, Things happen in our environment that make living here uncomfortable. But at the same time, particularly as we've seen in the last two chapters of Revelation... The enemy, the devil, is in a rage against God and his people. In this age, the devil, our enemy, seeks to cause as much havoc as he can. We also see in Revelation that the world hates those who belong to Jesus. Those who belong to Jesus will be ridiculed. They'll be marginalized. They'll be oppressed. They'll be persecuted. We should be expecting all of that. If you belong to Jesus... We should expect no better or no worse treatment than Jesus experienced. Now take note as you keep reading through the book of Revelation how frequently Christians are identified with the slain lamb. Life will just be hard. It wasn't easy to be a Christian in the first century and it's not easy to be a Christian today we might not be marginalized and persecuted as much as some other brothers and sisters round about the world and through history but we do need every bit of encouragement to stick with Jesus and here revelation 14 shows us the finish line of eternity for believers and unbelievers so that we might keep plodding on personally and as a church toward The one finish line and away from the other. Verses 1 to 5 in chapter 14 show us the finish line for believers. The finish line for believers. Let's read again in verse 1. Revelation 14 verse 1. The Apostle John, who has this vision, writes, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb... Standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Uh, the Lamb is Jesus. In the previous two chapters of Revelation, we've, we've been the focus of these chapters has been on the enemy, the devil, who's been seeking to imitate Jesus, to look like a lamb, to look like one who was slain. But here the focus is back on Jesus. Jesus the lamb. Revelation 4 and 5, the lamb who is on the throne at the centre of heaven and all attention, all worship is around and focused on him. This is a vision into heaven of Jesus. Mount Zion is another symbolic way of talking about heaven. The 144,000 is a symbolic number that captures up all those who belong to God from the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is a vision into heaven. And in verse 2, John describes a sound, a sound that precedes something big, a sound that makes us expectant. Like when we hear the sleigh bells in Narnia and then the snow melts. Something big is happening. Let's read again in verse 2. I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps and they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. What we see here is that all who belong to Jesus are gathered to heaven around the throne in worship of Jesus. These people are described in verse 3 as being those who are redeemed. In verse 4, those who are undefiled, who are pure, those who are, who are virgin, meaning those who have not committed spiritual adultery, those who have not given up on Jesus. Jesus. Old Testament Israel in the prophets were often called adulterous because of the way that they turned away from God. Those who belong to Jesus verse 4 will follow the lamb Jesus. They are those who have been purchased, offered as first fruits. Verse 5, those who hold to the truth of the gospel. Verse 5, those who are blameless. Does this describe you? Redeemed? Undefiled? Worshipping Jesus? Following Jesus? Holding to the truth of the gospel? Does this describe you? This is a Christian. This is a believer. This is a follower of Jesus. And this is our finish line. This is what's beyond death for us. It is something that is worth living for. It's worth every effort of sticking with Jesus now. Even when we're tired, even when we're weary, when we're disappointed, it's even worth dying for, if that's what belonging to Jesus requires. Does this describe you? Is this your finish line? For those who don't belong to Jesus, death is a very different thing. Verses 6 to 11 tell us of the finish line for unbelievers. It comes with an announcement from three angels. Angel number one, the announcement is that the eternal gospel says everyone should acknowledge God, should fear him and worship him because he is the maker and judge. Follow with me please in verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in midair and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on earth. To every nation, tribe, language and people. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth and the sea and springs of water. The first angel announces that everyone should acknowledge God, fear him and worship him. The second angel announces that the world that is opposed to God and the world here and, and much of the places in, in Revelation is represented by Babylon. The world opposed to God will be defeated, verse 8. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries, the world that has committed spiritual idolatry against God. The third angel gives an announcement of the destiny of those who belong to Babylon using four images from the Old Testament. First, in verse 10, the cup of wrath. Verse 10, or pick it up in verse 9. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. Uh, The prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah in the Old Testament speak of God's judgment as a cup of wrath that comes on those who turn away from God. Remember Jesus in the garden on the night before he died, praying and pleading with God, take this cup away from me the cup of god's judgment and wrath that jesus drinks on behalf of those who belong to him but for those who don't belong to jesus they will drink the cup of god's wrath for themselves another image is used in verse 10 from the old testament an image of burning sulfur in verse 10 it says of The destiny of those who are opposed to God, he will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. Back in Genesis chapter 19, with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, two cities that stood out in the Old Testament for their rebellion against God, God's judgment came down upon those cities with burning sulfur. Here, that is an image that is picked up as the destiny for those who don't belong to Jesus. The image in verse 11 is one of smoke of torment. The smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. In Isaiah chapter 34, it speaks prophetically of the destruction of uh, Edom and the people who belong to Edom, that there would be nothing left but smoke. And in verse, and in the second half of verse eleven, we read that the pun, that the uh, destiny is one of no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast in his image, or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. From the very beginning of the Bible, when God created the garden and he placed the man and the woman in it in perfect relationship with one another and perfect relationship with him and in perfect harmony with creation, one of the blessings and the promises of that place was rest. God rested himself on the seventh day. It's a pattern that continues through the Bible and God holds out the promise of eternal rest. But for those who belong to Babylon, there is no rest. No rest for unbelievers beyond death. Now this is a, a devastating finish line for all who don't belong to Jesus, all who give up on Jesus. There is no cheering here for those who are headed to the finish line of hell. Uh, Two weekends ago, I was away for a ministry recruiting conference which coincided with the AFL Grand Final. And there was somebody there who was cheering that the Sydney Swans would lose. My mate, who's a Geelong Cats fan. He didn't care really who won as long as it wasn't Sydney. And so he was cheering that Sydney would lose. I had to actually share a room with him. Well, there's no cheering for those who don't make the finish line of heaven. There's no cheering here for those who are headed to the finish line of hell. Revelation 14 jolts us awake to the tangible reality of eternity. Which finish line are you headed to? I want to encourage, urge and plead for you to stick to the path of eternity with Jesus. No matter how hard it is now, no matter how hard it is in the days to come, every bit of pain, every inconvenience, every setback is worth it. Hear this description in verses 12 and 13. This calls for patient endurance, John says, on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labour, for their deeds will follow them. I want to urge and encourage and plead with you to make this your finish line and stick to it. Another way of looking at the finish line is with two harvests in verses 14 to 20. We're not going to look at them in great detail now. We've already read them. But we read here of a harvest of believers and a harvest of unbelievers... In verses 14 to 16, the harvest of believers is for salvation and heaven. In verses 17 to 20, we read of the harvest of unbelievers for wrath and judgment. It builds up for us a sobering and tangible picture of eternity. Now, often in life, The reality of eternity can fade from our view. The finish line is kind of out of sight. It's not a finish line that we can see. It's sometimes a long way over the horizon. And so the immediate gets the focus in our lives. Hard times can turn us away from following Jesus. Disappointment begins to fuel our doubts more and more. Abundance right in front of us tempts us to indulge. Prosperity lulls us into a sense of self-reliance. Thoughts that are unshaped by God's revelation start to filter out for us the reality of eternity and the horror of hell. We need Revelation 14 to keep the finish line of heaven in our view so that we might persevere in trust and obedience. Now as much as we can lose the reality of eternity in our personal lives, we can lose that reality as a church, as a group together. All kinds of things in this world will distract and disappoint us from seeing the finish line and hinder or stop us from spurring one another on to the finish line. We're in one of those seasons at the moment. We should expect these seasons to come up in our personal lives and in the lives of the church. And we're in one of those seasons at the moment of NLPC where we need God's word to keep pointing us to the finish line of heaven. We need to keep having our focus together on spurring one another on to that finish line.